I'm going to let you be seated as we get into the Word of God. I want you to grab your Bibles, and we're going to look at a few passages of Scripture here. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4, and then also 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to lay some foundation, and we're going to go into what Jesus accomplished on this night just over 2,000 years ago. There's a lot of focus on Good Friday. There's a ton of focus on Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday, which both of those days are significant. He died on the cross on Good Friday. He resurrected from the grave on, on uh, my mind just went blank, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Y'all know what I mean. I've got a lot of sermons in my head, y'all forgive me, but he did a lot of great things on these days that we put significance on, but there's often something that is overlooked on this day, and I want to just take a few minutes and, and dive into this. Last year on Passover Saturday, I actually showed y'all how the original Passover in the Old Testament was presented, and we, we walked through the whole Passover Seder. We had the horseradish to represent the, the bitter herbs, and it was a very unique experience. We gave you all a little bit of a sweeter horseradish. I promise you what we had on stage was extremely bitter. But the whole purpose of the Passover is to remind them Passover is not just about escaping Egypt. The whole purpose of Passover is to remind them the whole purpose of this season, the reason that we come back and we celebrate this season is to remind ourselves. I love the song that we just sang, Remembrance. I wonder what would happen if as believers we would begin to live our lives as lives of remembrance. Instead of going through the religious motions, instead of going through the denominational or even the theological ideals that we have about things, what would happen in our life if we would literally live our lives as lives of daily remembrance of not only who Jesus is, but what he did on Good Friday, what he did on Passover Saturday, and what he accomplished on resurrection. Sunday. God, don't ever let us get to the place that we lose the value of remembrance. We know if you missed last night, it will be on the website sometime over the next few days and on YouTube and you can catch up. But we know that he died on the cross and he said it is finished, meaning the debt has been eternally paid. There's nothing else to be done. And he dies on the cross. The veil is rent in twain. The, the earth begins to respond. Creation begins to respond to the voice of the creator. And everything goes black in the middle of the day. And surely the centurion says, this man was the son of God. And we find ourselves in the story in a position of loss because the Messiah is no longer here. The one that we had placed all our faith in is no longer here. The one that we had leaned into is no longer here. The one who we followed, the one who we held on to every word that he said, the one that we watched him perform miracle time after time after time, yet he could not perform a miracle and take himself off the cross. And we are here in a moment of pain, no doubt we've seen his mother Mary going through the, the agony that a mother only can go through when the mother witnesses the death of her child. But you have to compound that by the fact not only does she witness her child dying, but witnesses her child dying such an agonizing death. 
And she is here in a place of pain. And we're watching her. We're seeing the pain in her life. We're seeing the pain in, in everybody else, the followers, the disciples' lives. We're seeing all these people who are impacted by the life of Jesus Christ. And it's just this sombering moment. Joseph of Arimathea, a righteous man who was friends with the Sanhedrin, who was part of the Phariseeistical council, he goes to Pilate and makes an appeal for the body. Pilate's like, wait, he's, he's dead already? And like, yeah, and he has this confirmed. He says, yeah, well, if, if he's dead, take him off the, the cross and you can do with him whatever you want to. Joseph takes the body of Jesus and places him in a tomb that had never been used before. It was a tomb that no doubt Joseph of Arimathea had reserved for himself. This was not a poor man's tomb. Even though Jesus came to earth in a poor man's birthing place, he left this earth in a rich man's tomb. Letting us know you may come in the world one way, but you're leaving a complete other way thanks to the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus goes into the tomb and they roll the stone and the Sanhedrin go to Pilate and say, hey, look, there's a cult of people who believe this dude is going to rise from the dead in, in three days. So what we want you to do is place a guard, put a, a Roman seal on the tomb so no one comes in and steals the body. Pilate says, make it happen. I'm tired of dealing with this stuff. And we go into the ground and Jesus is in the ground three days. And something unique happens during this season. And what I want to do is I want to go to Ephesians chapter 3, or excuse me, chapter 4, and I want to pick up in verse 8. We're going to read a few verses of Scripture here, and then we are going to move forward in the text and into where God wants to take us tonight. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, verse 8, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high... He led captivity captive. I want you to hear the phraseology or I want you to hear the words. When he had ascended on high, he led captivity captive. In other words, he took captivity itself and made captivity his captive. And then he gave gifts to men. Verse 9 and 10. Now, what is the meaning of he ascended except that he also descended? In other words, before he ascended back out of the ground, he descended not only from the heavenly realms, he also descended into the place where all humanity goes when this life is over. He descended to the lower regions, namely the earth. Verse 10. He, the very one who descended... In case anyone was confused about who did this, the one, he, the one who descended is also the one who ascended above all the heavenly realms in order to fill all things or in order to fulfill all things. In other words, to bring everything that has been up to this point in the text to bring it to fulfillment. So that's a lot of words. Paul was a very, very intelligent man, and he liked to confuse us with the way that he wrote his letters. 
What is he saying here? What he's saying is the one who descended from the heavenly realms, when God, the one true living, only breathing, almighty God, the God, the source of life, when he robes himself in flesh and leaves the heavenly realms and is born of a virgin in a lowly manger and he lives a human life, in this moment, the God who descended from the heavenlies also now descends into the depths of hell itself. Jesus did not just do this because that's what you do on the afternoon. Jesus did this because the only way you and I can have freedom from everything that this condemns us from is for him to go down there and take the keys back from Beelzebub. And I love the way it's, it's put there in, in verse 8. When he ascended on high, he took captivity captive. You see, he had to first descend before he began to ascend. You can't ascend until you first descend. And y'all with me. Don't make me keep saying these words over and over and over. Y'all got to preach with me. I'm going to get tang-tungled. Then y'all going to laugh at me. She's going to put it on TikTok and we're going to get more followers. But the one who is the ascension himself, the one who descended from the heavenly realms, also descended into the earth to go up to the one who held the keys to death, hell, and the grave and say, I know that you've had captives up to this point, but from this point forward, these keys belong to me. And all of these captives are now my captives. You may not understand what happened for you this day over 2,000 years ago, but Jesus Christ set you free. You're not bound by anything that's in this life. You're not bound by anything that the world would throw at you. You're not bound by anything that Satan would say about you. You are free because he who the Son has set free is truly free indeed. Come on, somebody preach with me for a second. Taking sips of water while I'm preaching, I feel Pentecostal tonight. <laughs> glory, glory, glory. <laughs> he takes the keys, but I love that phraseology. He took captivity captive. You've got to think about it. Just in your mind right now, what, what, what holds you down? What do you struggle? It's just my struggle. What is your struggle? What is the sin that doth so easily beset you? What is the thing that trips you up over and over? What is that addiction that you have trouble letting go of? What's that relationship that just keeps putting you in the bad spot? Like what, what is going on in your life that keeps tripping you up? That's what holds you captive. Only because you don't realize that he already holds the keys to that and he took that captive. He didn't go to hell just to go, oh, this is cool, bye. <laughs> Jesus Christ went to hell for you and I so he could walk up to the one who held everything that would ever encapsulate us, that would ever hold us in captivity and say, this is no longer in your power. The keys belong to me. And you've got to realize this is the day of celebration. I know we went deep in worship tonight. And it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. The harmonies were lovely. It's awesome. And I'm so glad that we did that because it was just flipping awesome. But this is not a day to be sad. 
It was sad when he was hanging on the cross, lifeless, and they took him off the cross and they put him in a tomb. It was sad when they saw Mary. It was sad. It was somber. They were regretting what was happening. The Bible tells us that some of the people that were cheering for his death, when they saw what was happening, they walked away beating their chest saying, oh my God, we made a mistake. But the sorrow is over because Jesus went to hell for us. When he went to hell for us, everything that holds us down, he said, nah, this belongs to me. Let me prove it to you because I can tell by the look on some of your face, you don't think I know what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's really interesting. Let me lay some foundation while you're flipping over. It's, it's on page 2204. Paul begins this aspect of his letter to the Corinthian church talking about spiritual authority in chapter 11. He firmly establishes that spiritual authority is not any form of domination, but spiritual authority is something that is established by God for the protection of every individual who is in the community. And he, he completely aligns the roles of individuals. He, he lays down spiritual authority. People think it's about something else. No, it's about spiritual authority. And he's using as an example something that is happening in the Corinthian culture. And he says, this culture is so jacked up. Now you're bringing this culture into the church. And, and the, the wives are bringing this negative culture into the church. And the men are so washed out and so, so scared of standing up for what's right that even though you're all saved, you won't even tell them them that what they're doing is wrong. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to establish some spiritual authority. And I just sucked all the life out of the room. Y'all just stay with me. We're not done. It's interesting. He goes straight out of spiritual authority into what we call communion. But you see, Paul is on a journey to tell the story of Jesus. And it's not going to make sense unless you start with the foundation. The foundation of everything that you and I are as successes in the kingdom of God is entirely based on where we fit in with spiritual authority. When we are all alone, we have no power. But when we are under spiritual authority that is delegated by God, we walk into a position of power where the enemy has no strength in our lives. Believers are like, why do I struggle with this? Why am I? But because you don't have any spiritual authority. There is spiritual authority, but you have not placed yourself under it. And he goes out of that into communion. Why communion after that? Because when you start talking about spiritual authority, people can feel divided. The whole purpose of what we call communion was to bring everyone back together. You see, Passover is yes, it's about getting out of Egypt, but what it really was, it was to set up a remembrance of sitting down as a family, sitting down with friends and saying, hey, do you remember what happened when, when Moses came out and said to do this? It was not about a religious ceremony. It wasn't about being, no, that's not what it was all about. I cannot believe I just did that. <laughs> I literally just made Morgan laugh out loud for the first time in the four and a half years they've been coming to this church. <laughs> but y'all, that's not what it's about. That's ceremony. That's religion. It's about sitting down and enjoying life with each other and remembering what God did. 
You fast forward into the New Testament and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul breaks it down. He says, look, you gotta be under spiritual authority and the best way to know that you are is when you are in, com in community with other believers. So now let me break down why the Lord took y'all into the upper room for the Last Supper that last time. By the way, if you'll notice, when he did it, he removed some elements from the ceremony. He removed some elements. He did not serve lamb to his disciples because he is the lamb of God. Amen? He did serve the bitter root, but he said, from now on, when you eat this, remember me instead of remembering your suffering. Now we get into communion. And Paul breaks it down. He said, and he took the bread and he took the wine. He said, this bread represents my body and this wine represents my blood that is shed for you. And man, religion went, yes, we can hang on to this hook. For the rest of eternity, we will serve bread and wine. <laughs> Never was the intention of God. In fact, Paul says, hey, y'all do this with reverence, but don't do it so often that it just becomes ceremony. But religion went, choke that part. We really like juice and bread. People say, pastor, why are you being so flippant? Because it's a sit-down dinner, not a religious ceremony of sadness. You're just not very reverent. I'm not sanctimonious. Because I remember when I was addicted to pornography. I remember when I was addicted to alcohol. I remember when I didn't even know which end was up and God reached down and picked me up. I will not be sanctimonious. I will remember what my God did for me. I will remember. Do you remember the time? Y'all were getting too serious. I had to make you giggle. Wayne, that's a Michael Jackson song. I know that you have no clue what I'm talking about. Jesus accomplished a task. Not to make us ceremonial, but to make us communal. Why? You have to understand the power of community by the chapters that follow chapter 11. The chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 are all about spiritual gifts. And there's a lot of believers that say, spiritual gifts aren't real. I don't need to believe those. Those have no application. No, you missed it. You thought it was about having special powers. You did not understand that the foundation was actually community. The whole reason God gives you spiritual gifts is so you can live in powerful community with other believers. And the reason you don't feel like you need to live in powerful community is because you have no spiritual gifts operating in your life because you haven't submitted to spiritual authority because you don't trust what Jesus did in the garden. You don't trust what he did on the cross and you don't trust what he did in the tomb. You got a God who still hasn't gone to hell for you, but he wrote a book. And you're chasing information and you're wondering why there's no power in your life. You can't move forward because you're stuck in yesterday's lies. Pastor, you're dealing with something? You better believe I'm dealing with something. There's a religious spirit trying to get handhold in this church and it ain't gonna happen. 
we're not getting religious. We're getting filled with the Holy Ghost power. We're going to speak in tongues. We're going to speak words of faith. We're going to speak words of knowledge, words of wisdom. We're going to see people get healed. We're going to perform miracles. We're going to have faith. That's the kind of church that Jesus Christ died to establish. I don't care what you know and what you don't know. Who do you know? That's what it's all about. Let me get back into the book. Mm. He lays the foundation, spiritual gifts. Here's what they are. Oh, by the way, y'all gonna do it wrong. So chapter 13, if you don't have love, you jacked up. I don't care what gift you have. You can speak in tongues until your tongue falls out, but if you don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. You can have all the faith in the world, but if you aren't living in community, your faith profiteth nothing. I don't care what prophecy you got. I don't care what prophet called you up out of the nowhere, sent you the email, and I, I don't care if you don't have love. It's interesting to me, all these special words that people get is all about dividing them from the house that God placed them in. That's how you know it's not from God. God is not the author of confusion and God is not the author of community ever breaking up because he did everything he did to bring us into community. The spiritual gifts are not about special powers. It's about community. And community is laid out through the lens of love. Chapter 14. Hey, don't make it about you. Make it about them. Then we get into chapter 15 where he's talking about resurrection. Why resurrection? Because the whole reason that Jesus did what he did was to get us to this point. You have to understand this. The whole reason that Jesus had to go to hell was so that he could take the thing that holds us captive and make it his captive so we could live in biblical community and be effective in this world because the world does not have true community. It has one-sided community and it will burn out and it will run out and it will leave people abandoned. And when the church can get set on fire by the power of Jesus Christ and live in a state of constant remembrance and we take the biblical community that we have with each other and he says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples in that you have love one for another. It's all about community. Hey, y'all, you've got all these commandments. Let me give you yet another commandment. Love one another in the same way that I have loved you. It's not about wrath. It's not about pain. It's not about anger. It's not about judgment. It's about the love of an almighty judgmental God saying my judgment has to stop the moment I see my sacrifice. You better be thankful and remembrance all day long, your entire life. Thank you for dying, but thank you for going to hell for me. In spiritual authority, I'm in community. I've been gifted so I can be effective. What about this resurrection? This is where he goes in chapter 15. And toward verse 53, he starts talking about this perishable body must put on the imperishable. Man, these words are big. In other words, this body that's going to rot away is going to have to be done away. Well, you can't hang on to this life and take it into the next. 
So don't focus all of your attention on what happens in this life. Live this life in remembrance, which means you're looking forward to eternity. This life is but a vapor and soon it will pass away. This perishable tank is going to have to put on the imperishable. You're going to have to lay aside your opinion. You're going to have to lay aside your preference. You're going to have to lay aside your comfort and say, take everything that I am. Let's go into our Sunday series that we're in right now. You're going to have to take all those talents that you have put work and time and energy and money into, and you're going to have to lay them aside and say, that's not me. This is where I'm meant to be. You and me and me and you, however that song goes, I always get that line messed up. I just hum. And then, then it just sounds good. You come right back in. Secrets. You're learning secrets tonight. It's all about this. It's not about this. It's not about this. It's about this. And when this is right, this is awesome. Why did Jesus go to hell? So you and I can live in true biblical community. That's why he said, when you come back and do Passover or whatever it looks like after I'm gone, because by the way, I'm taking all the elements out. You don't have to remember suffering. Remember my suffering. That way you don't have to suffer. You don't have to remember the lamb because I am the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You don't have to go there. You won't have, you know, cheese and crackers and bread and wine and, and apples and oranges and whatever. Do it. Just do it in remembrance of me. Here's the thing, the whole practice. Like, how many of y'all, when you sit down to eat, especially with your, when you're with other people from the church, you always say a prayer before you eat? How, how many of y'all do that? Okay, most of you, some of y'all are doing like me. You kind of like, here's what I do. In, in the first night of January, I say a prayer for all the food I'm going to eat for the rest of the year. <laughs> Just kind of cover it. We're good. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I only do that sometimes. But the whole practice of praying for your food before you eat it is not praying before, for your food before you eat it. It is literally first century church communion. A lot of people don't get that. They think communion is the little wafer that's nasty and the juice that's been in the cabinet for like a year and it stanks and it's stale and it's gross but when the, when the service is over, the preacher's kids get the big old jug of it. Like, yeah. You got that sugar high from all that Welch's and you're just like, yeah. Y'all ain't preacher's kids. Y'all don't even know what it's about. To this day, Pastor Matt Alicia will bring me a big old gallon of, of, the, of the communion juice after we, and I'm like, yes, I'm still a preacher's kid. Yes. That's not communion in the first century. Now, by the way, there's nothing wrong with doing that. I don't want anyone to leave here thinking, well, if I do the bread and the juice, I'm... no, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But he never said keep doing this for all eternity. In fact, the first century church did not do this because the first century church grew like wildfire and it very quickly stopped being a Jewish church and started very quickly becoming a Gentile church. They did not know anything about Passover, but they knew something about eating. And he said, 
when you sit down to eat, remember me. When you sit down to feed your flesh, remember me. When you sit down to have interaction with people. Why do we have the lobby of the church set up as a living room? Because I want you in community. Get used to talking to people. It's so cool. You come up here in the middle of the day and there's people laid out on the big brown comfy couch. Danny, you are a saint for doing that. The miracle you performed is the big brown couch out in the lobby. Y'all, don't pray to Danny. He ain't Saint Danny. Don't do that. But people just hang out on the couch. It's awesome and community is happening. You know why that's so important? Because, because the fact that community is happening, lives are being healed because relationships are being mended and people that felt like they were all alone are finding out, hey, there's, there are actually people who care about me and situations are beginning to be taken care of. Y'all, that is communion. Yeah. And he says, when communion begins to happen, this perishable body is going to put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. Now when this perishable puts on the imperishable and this mortal puts on the immortality, somebody help Paul with his wording. <laughs> then the saying that is written will happen. Wait, 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 what? When this perishable puts on the imperishable, when, any of you Bible nerds with me? Y'all with me? When? When God began to create the heaven and the earth. Breshith, Hebrew word for a new beginning. I told y'all a year and a half ago, there's new beginnings. Last night, I reminded some of y'all, didn't even remember that. I reminded y'all there's a new beginning happening. Now we see another new beginning happening in what we call communion. Now when this perishable in the beginning that is being talked about here puts on the imperishable, and this mortal puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will happen. Very important saying. Out of Isaiah 25, death has been swallowed up in victory. Wait, when, when does this happen, Jesus? When you start living in remembrance and you start living in community and stop focusing so much on yourself and your preferences and your comfort and, and your lack of wanting to be involved and your lack of wanting to be the one who's pouring out. You just want to be served all the time. When you forget all that, when this perishable puts on imperishable, when this mortal begins to put on immortality, how do you put on immortality? You begin to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. And life stops being about you and you start living a life that literally the life you live is the remembrance of who he is and what he did. And a new beginning happens. And when this begins to happen in your life, just like it happened for Jesus, death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Quotation out of Isaiah 25. But we got to break this down. Because we don't speak ancient Hebrew. We definitely don't speak ancient Greek. But what does it mean? Who is he talking to? There are two words that are mentioned here. And one of the words that is mentioned is mentioned somewhat out of context. So that means the meaning has changed. The word death is mentioned three times, but it's actually two and a half different words. When he says, oh, that death has been swallowed up in victory, he is not talking about the end of natural life. He is talking about separation from community with God. 
The separation that comes into our lives because of sin in our lives has been swallowed up by the victory that Jesus accomplished when he took captivity captive when he went to hell. Hell has no more power to separate you from your God because that separation has been conquered. Hey, separation, you have been swallowed up in the victory of the Almighty. When he robed himself in flesh, he said, you no longer have to live separated because I have conquered the situation. But then he starts getting specific and he calls out death two more times by two different words. Where, oh, death is your victory. You see, the grave represents the separation. But the death that has a victory here is the death of Gehenna, which is one of the words that we use today for hell. This is the hell that is the grave. This is the, the dirt nap. That was funny. It's a shame when I got to tell you I said something funny. That was funny, but whatever. Come back, I'll give you another one later. Gehenna is a reference to death, the separation from life, but also the separation from God. If you walk around scared of dying, you don't know who your victor is. If you're scared to death for this life to end, you don't know that your life only begins in the breshith that begins when you draw your last natural breath. Does this make sense? But when you begin to understand, this is only a short part of my existence. What, if I'm lucky... 75 years or 72 years is what the Bible said. If I'm like out of Olga's family, they live to like a 113. Wow. I'm not interested in that. Just, just telling you. But if you're scared to death of death, if you're scared to death of your life ending, you're not living in victory. You're not living in remembrance and you think that you are still bound by the captor. But when you live, hey, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The grave has no more victory in your life. Gehenna has no victory in your life. And then the next place, oh, death, where is your sting? Here, it's a different word for hell. It's the word Hades. That's the one you're thinking of with the fire and the imps and all that stuff. <laughs> you see, Jesus conquered not only separation from God. He also conquered the loss of life. But he also conquered eternal separation from God in a place that has been prepared for Satan and his fallen angels. What kind of God's going to send you to hell? No, what kind of God dies so you don't have to? It's not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to eternal life. Amen? And he conquered it. I can tell you still don't believe me. Take me back. Take me back. Take me back to Psalm 23. I'm, I'm going to get like way out of like the norm. Is that okay? 
Jesus, trial, conviction, death, burial, holiday in hell. Why? For you. Because you see, he had something for you. Something that you cannot enter into unless you live in remembrance. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 23. And most people can quote the vast majority of it. But something that really stands out to me in Psalm 23 is verse 5. And I'm going to read this verse to you. And then I'm going to show you something. And then we're going to close out with some worship. Not somber. We're going to be victorious. Because in the morning we're celebrating the resurrection. But I want to show you something that Jesus did for you. The psalmist David writes, he says, You prepare a feast before me in plain sight of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil and my cup is completely full. Just go to verse one. It's not on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. Remembrance. I live my life in remembrance. I wish I had I live my life in remembrance and I'm going through some hell right now I live my life in remembrance anybody had a bad couple days I live my life in remembrance I just feel like I can't get out of this funk that I'm in I, I just feel like I can't get any victory did he take your captivity captive or is your God still in hell? If you know who your God is, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You're the head, you're not the tail. You're the masterpiece of creation. You are the epitome of everything he set out to do when you begin to live your life in remembrance. You prepare a feast before me in the plain sight of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil, my cup, is completely full. And I, I, I want to show you something here real quick. I'm in closing. But just, everybody stay right where you are. I'm, I'm going to show you something here real quick. I don't think we understand what verse 5 of Psalm 23 means. I know for, my, for myself, I, I have not completely understood it. I thought it was like snack time. Like you, you're in the middle of the day, here's some goldfish. By the way, I'm almost 50 goldfish. Yes. Still amazing. But you have to imagine a battle raging all around you. You have to imagine you are on the front lines, and we're talking about ancient world battles. We're not talking about drones and such. We're talking about swords, Jacked up armor, blood, sweat, dirt, mud, body parts everywhere. Like a good battle, right? 
Tim's with me on this. It's a good battle. That's what he does in the park, in Laffineer Park on Saturdays. He... LARPers forever. Anyway, he doesn't really. He does not do that anymore. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, like a real battle. I'm talking like the most epic battle ever. Just like, just like you're fighting, you're doing all this stuff, and you got this sword that weighs as much as your whole body, and you're still swinging it, and you're using your shield, and, and you're, you're putting your back to your brothers and your sisters, and you're in the fight of your life, and you're just completely exhausted. And then out of your periphery vision, you see something begin to happen, and y'all, that's your signal. That Come thither, out of the tunnel. Walk this way. I'm calling you. The best laid plans. Okay, right over here, right over here, right over here. You're in a battle. Fight, 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 fight. Stab, 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 jab, jab, punch, punch. Fall down, fall down, fall down. And this happens. You turn around, you're like, as Jade says, what the... What are you doing? I'm in a battle, God. What is this? I asked for a victory, and you brought me a grape. Somebody know what I'm talking about? I'm living in hell. Everything I do is a fight, and you brought me some cheese. And whatever this is, I ain't bougie enough to eat that. <laughs> but but you, you got to imagine, you are in the fight of your battle royale. It's going crazy. And he comes out and he's like, Cam, help me out here. Cam's fighting. Stab, stab, jab, jab, run, run. <laughs> jump, jump. Dunk, dunk. And you have to imagine, you're in the fight, and he says, can you please have a seat? So glad you're here today. We've prepared an assortment of wonderful foods for you and some stuff to give you some carbs so you can fight better. And we've got some elixir for you. But let, let me just show you. You been going through anything? Yeah. You been going through some stuff? When you go through things, my hands are clean. <laughs> COVID is not a real thing. And therefore, Facebook has taken this video down. <laughs> we will cut that out. <laughs> that was a joke, by the way. I've got some grapes for you. My hands are clean, I promise you. I want you to eat one. And here. Here's the reason I want you to eat the grapes. Because when you're fighting... And you get hurt. Parts of your life get inflamed. And the grapes are an anti-inflammatory. And where your muscles can't work and your joints don't work real good, you, you eat that and it, it like loosens you up. Yeah, I, I know, don't worry about them fighting. Just, just here. In fact, let me. I know better than to hand you that. I'm going to give you some protein here. 
I killed this this morning for you. That did not work out as planned. I'm going to give you some, these almonds are going to give you strength because you're about to go back out in the battle and you're going to lose your strength. So you better eat some of those. Like the whole thing that Snickers is supposed to do, this is actually going to do it and you're not going to have the sugar crash. And these olives, just because I know you've been in a press, this will just remind you, this will remind you that no matter how pressed or depressed you get, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I ain't eating that, but you're welcome to. I don't even know what apricots do, but sometimes you got to go. Maybe they help it happen. I don't know. Just oh, here, you definitely want to get some of this bread. This, this bread represents my body. I broke my body for you so you don't have to be broken. And by the way, I came out of the grave, so every time you eat that broken bread, just remember, if I got up, you can. You know, wait, I can tell. This is getting a little harsh. Let me help you out. I, I, know, that, I know that you're hurting. But when you take a sip of this, I want you to remember that my blood washed away everything and when my blood is coursing through your veins you're never going to be without strength you're in a fight and he says come have a seat let me take it from here you're in a battle and you feel all alone because you're surrounded by the enemy and he sits you down for communion. And we made it a little piece of bread and a little shot glass of grape juice. And we call that holy. You missed it. This. I, I'm not God, but I'm just playing. I created all this. Because all of this sustains all of this. Whatever I serve you is not just to make you chunky. So don't eat too much of the things that your pastor likes to eat. Eat the things that are going to put strength in your body. And remember me. When you go to the fridge and you get I, the, the green grapes are not my style. The, I, I like the red table grapes. But when you, when you get these and you, and you eat that grape, I want you to remember that I spoke that into existence for you. Like This didn't just happen. It's interesting to me. Evolution shows how we happened, but not this. Evolution cannot account for this. They never even address that because they're too busy focusing on people. I made this for you because this will sustain you and this will strengthen you. When, when, when you don't have enough saliva and you feel like you're dehydrated, eat, eat an olive. It goes down in your throat and your body starts producing. Drink that. It's going to start 
just working through your body. Eat the bread, building up strength. Eat the meat, eat the cheese. It's there, it's for you. I designed it for you because you're in a battle. I've prepared a table for you in the presence of the one who is trying to put you back in captivity. Why in the presence? Because I want him to see how much I love you and how whatever the heck he's doing has no power in your life because you're living in remembrance of me. Y'all, is that good? Come on, let's stand on our feet and clap our hands for who our God is.